Lindsay. And And this is Attention Spam, where we talk about whatever grabs our attention as we make our way through life as typical adults with unremarkable problems. Welcome to our podcast. Thanks for coming back. We have made a little bit more progress from the last episode. We have a formula now, or at least a formula that we're going to try today. <laughs> Do we want to tell the formula? I don't know. Is that like giveaway or a secret sauce? It kind of feels like a thing. Can we call it a secret sauce just yet? No. Well, we, we're going to call it a secret sauce, and we're going to keep it a secret unless you figure it out, and then you can tell us what our secret sauce is. Um, speaking of shorts, I volunteered at the Twin Cities Marathon, and something that I play through my mind if I'm doing anything that requires you to run for more than 13 miles. My motto is never trust a fart after mile 13. <laughs> it could be a shart. It could be something else. And I didn't come up with that motto. That's from someone I'm, I'm friends with back when I used to do triathlons. And that was the advice he gave me before I did Iron Man Chattanooga. Like, Lizzie, never trust a fart after mile 13. And after mile 13, that's all I could think about. Like, well, don't do now it. you got to tell us. Did you poop your pants? No, I didn't have any accidents. I've, I've never had an accident during any kind of endurance race, which is nice. But it's it's a scary thought. It happens. <laughs> you hear those horror stories. I definitely peed myself when I ran my marathon. Full on or just a little trickle? Just like a little leakage. And then then you're like, did I pee or is that sweat? Oh, no, that's pee. Because I was in such a world of hurt that I didn't want to stop and go to the porta potty. Because I wasn't sure if I'd be able to, one, get back up and two, get 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 it going again. Yeah. At what mile was that? Can you remember? No, I feel like it happened multiple times, just kind of like throughout the back half when I was really hurting. Mm. That is the worst part because it's just a mental game after that. Oh. If you're not physically injured and yeah. you're, you're hurting because you've been moving for so long, it's a mental game after that. Tell us about your triathlon experience. That is truly wild to me. So it was a full triathlon. Well, Ironman. Ironman, yeah. So there's there's a lot of different distances. It goes sprint, Olympic, half Ironman, Ironman. And I've done all of the above. My favorite distance is Olympic. And that is a one-mile swim, a 26-mile bike, and a six-mile run. It's been so long since I've done a triathlon that I I feel like I'm getting those numbers wrong, but I think that's right. And I stopped doing them because we moved to Japan. And I didn't bring my bike with me to Japan. And then when we moved to Minnesota, I just didn't have that community anymore. Right now, I'm kind of fine just not having anything to train for, which is a lot of freedom that I didn't have for 10 years. How does that feel? I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I miss like being at the marathon over the weekend. I miss race day and the energy, but 
all the training and hours. And for me, it felt like more of a sacrifice. I feel like I'm done with that. That phase is over and now I'm just hanging out. Yeah. Who knows? And you're at, you're at peace with that. It took me a while because it's almost like an identity crisis when you have done something for 10 years and then all of a sudden you're not doing it. I can't, I feel like I can't call myself a triathlete anymore because I'm not doing it. And for the longest time, that's, what's your hobby? I'm a triathlete. Right. Yeah. I train on the weekends. Mm-hmm. But you know what's so weird to me? I was just thinking about this the other day is my point of view is only from sports, but I'm sure this is applicable to anything else that you leave. But you don't always know when it's the last time you're doing that. Or even if you do, I feel like there's just not enough. Like I think about like I played basketball almost my entire life. I don't know if I've touched a ball. That's not true. I've touched ball, but I haven't played the game of basketball since I was 18. So you spend 18 years doing something. And then in literally one night, it's gone. No one prepares you for that. Right? <laughs> and you've, you're left at your 18-year-old self to try to figure out, now what do you do? Yeah. It's not a good situation. No one prepares you for it. No one talks about it. That can be a topic. That actually is what I wanted the whole podcast. When I first had my idea pop into my head, because I was going through this, I had left sports altogether. I was like, what, 22, 23 years old, no idea what to do. My whole life had been sports. Truly, the same thing. Like, what do you do for fun? What do you do? Who are you? I'm an athlete. In one single second, that's gone. And then what? Yeah. You're just thrown into the world, left to figure it out on your own. And that's why people have train wreck 20s and sometimes a little bit of a 30s. It's just trying to figure it out, who you are. That's the shit that they should talk about in college, in high school. Do you feel like you have figured out who you are without sports? I've made peace with the fact that that is over and done with and that's okay. I couldn't tell you who I am today, but I'm no longer like struggling with I'm not an athlete anymore. That that feels like a just another lifetime ago. Yeah. I feel like What about you? I am getting there. I never wanna be like, yep, that's who I am. No room for growing anymore. Yeah. I always wanna learn and grow and evolve and change all that good stuff. But I'm becoming more comfortable with with who I am. And that took a long, long time. I still have days where my confidence is basically zero. And this is our topic for today. (laughs) You kind of left us hanging with the last episode and your experience with brain spotting. Can you first start by trying to explain what brain spotting is if you were explaining it to a five-year-old? Or nine-year-old. Let's say nine-year-old because that's that's a little easier. Yep. Okay. I'll try my best because I'm still trying to understand it too. So my therapist uses the analogy that your brain is a bunch of files. And when you experience trauma, your brain can't file that away. It feels like it is still experiencing it. Your body can remember it longer than your brain Right. Like you can think like I've moved past this, but your body can still hold on to the trauma. Does that make sense? Like in a way that you're you're tense or it, it, it doesn't even have to like manifest as anything like that. But your body there's there's even a book called Your Body Remembers. So that's why you cannot even 
realize why you're feeling a certain way, right? It's not always like super, that connection is not always very clear. Like, oh, I'm experiencing X, Y, and Z symptoms because my body is stuck on this trauma. For me, how it manifested is depression symptoms and a very low tolerance for much of anything. So dealing with two rambunctious children, it was like very evident that like everything just felt like a really big deal. Can you revisit the the files when you're like you have you have all these files in your brain, but the trauma has nowhere to go. It has nowhere to go. It's like an unfiled away file and your brain is trying to file it away, but it it can't. So it's always like, hey, here's this file. Remember this? And sometimes that can be remembering like, oh, I remember the trauma. Or sometimes it can be like my body just remembers it. And the purpose then of brain spotting would be to file that away. To help your brain file away. Yes. I'm on the brain spotting website. And the first thing they say Quote, brain spotting locates points in the client's visual field that helps to access unprocessed trauma in the subcortical brain. What our brain is actually doing is that when you experience trauma, and this is where it gets a little wooey, but stick with me here because it changed my life. You look in a certain direction. And so a therapist, by using a literal pointer, just something so they can track your eyes, right? One visual point to look at. They can tell by how your eyes dilate where this trauma is stored. And then you stare at a point and your pupils blow up and then they get really small. They blow up and they get really small. And that's your brain processing the trauma. That is wild. Yes. So I stared at a spot. I think it was like two minutes. And that evening, my life changed and I felt more like myself than I had in a year. In two minutes. In two minutes. And I asked her, because I had another se- a follow-up session, like, is that normal? <laughs> Am I making this up? And she thinks because sometimes you have to also um, talk through it as well, like talk through your trauma and process your trauma. But I had already kind of started that journey um, of like talking about it, getting out my feelings about it. And so she said, once you've done that, then your body's like trying to play catch up. So all that I had left was for my body to process it. Okay. So that's why she thinks that I took to it really quickly, where some people might, their body kind of has to process it before they're even willing to talk about it. I see. Yeah. So that's why she thinks it worked so well and so quickly. Oh, I'm so happy for you. That's awesome. Thanks. Yeah. And I mean, I appreciate you sharing this because... You were a skeptic, maybe still slightly are. I don't know. I am a skeptic still a little bit. I think you are a skeptic until you experience something for yourself. So so your eyes reacted, but did you feel any kind of like physical sensation? Most of it was I just felt an overwhelming sense of sadness. And I started like leaking tears and I'm not a quiet crier (laughs) I'm a loud crier so just like leaking tears is not something that with no noise is that what you mean leaking tears no noise or you were no noise yeah okay I was crying without any like (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. yeah but I felt this like overwhelming sense of sadness and then I started crying well thanks for sharing that it was very personal but yeah no thanks for caring and asking yeah if anyone's listening and experiencing 
trauma, depression, anxiety, and going to a therapist. If you're not going to a therapist, I encourage you to find one because yes, it's helpful. Um, Although you don't think that. Well, I'll I'll share my two cents about therapy um, in a second. <laughs> Give me a second. Ask him about brain spotting. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Yeah. I have been through a slew of therapists throughout my <laughs> life. When I was younger, I wasn't open to the idea. My parents made me go type of thing. I wasn't open for therapy. That was like two, two and a half years of me trying different therapists and me not really caring if I got better or not. And I found my own path to recovery. It was recovering from an eating disorder. After I moved to Minnesota, I've been I've been through three therapists since moving here. Yeah. Yeah. Um the the first one, I went and saw her and the last thing she said to me as I am crying in her office is, You're fine. That's so fucked up. And I just looked at her and I thought, I didn't say this out loud, but I thought to myself, this is the last time I will see you. I'm obviously not fine. <laughs> That's the epitome of a terror. Like, I, what? It, well, if you think that's bad, the second person I saw, um, we were talking about uh, what what gives me stress, anxiety, and money came up. Finances came up. And Nick and I had recently moved into our condo. Having an HOA fee, Homeowners Association fee, was new to me, and I'm still pretty sour about it because it's a lot of money um, for not a lot of amenities. Anyway, I told her like what the yearly expense was for our HOA, and she said, that's not that bad. Back when I had a six-figure salary and lived wherever the heck she said she lived my HOA was blah 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 and I was like I said to her I go what you just said is not helpful and you're making it about you this is about what did me you say to that she and I, I and I left I let it be silent because it was her turn to talk yeah and she said I'm sorry how can we move on from this and I said I don't think we can I'm not I'm not going to come back to see you and that was the end of that one. So that was therapist number two. You've had two therapists that invalidated your feelings, which is exactly what therapists are supposed to validate your feelings. <laughs> so you wonder why I'm like, oh, therapy works for other people, not for me. I just I've never had a good experience with therapy. And this the latest therapy that I went to, I did five sessions, which is a good amount. It's a lot. And I I really felt like I got what I needed out of it. And then I stopped yeah. going because she even asked me. It was almost like I was digging and not making stuff up, but bringing stuff up that I didn't feel like I needed to talk about, but just to fill the space. Yeah. And she made an observation and was like, do you feel like we need to meet today? <laughs> I was like. Not really. I feel I'm actually feeling a lot better. And it's because what's going on with me, I needed medication for versus talk therapy. And yeah. being on medication, I feel I don't know why I waited so long. Yeah. But 
it's try it out. I don't know. I think it's it can be great. I hear people's experiences, your experience. Some other friends have really gotten a lot out of therapy. I just I've never had luck with it. Yeah. And I, I want to. I want to have luck with it. But I'm also not willing to waste my money. It's expensive. It is expensive. And I can't believe you literally hit like the terrible therapist lottery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Two of them tell you your feelings were invalid. Yeah. I can't get over that. Yeah, yeah. No wonder you're not interested. But yeah. <laughs> Anxiety, depression. What? You're fine. You're, <laughs> you're fine. fine. Just it's fine. You're fine. You're going to be fine. Oh, I used to make a lot not more money than bad. that and spend a lot more money than that. That's nothing. Anyway, we should we get to our segment? Yes. Okay. I'm so excited. We have a guest for our segment today, and it is no other than Nick Miller, my husband. Woo! <laughs> and why do we have Nick on today? It's a good question. <laughs> Nick is here because he is essentially our producer. And he also wrote, is it writing, Nick? What would you say? You wrote our intro song, the music we use, our bumpers. You edit our podcasts. You finalize them. I feel like you can just use the word anymore. You can just use the word produce for just all of it. Nick produced all of it. Yeah. All of it. That sounds nice. Yeah. Um. So, Nick, we do have some questions for you yeah. today. Britta. What's the first question for Nick today? Nick, our first question is, how did you come up with our intro song? Oh, yeah. So early in this process of the two of you sort of brainstorming the whole podcast idea, you sent Lizzie like a sound check that you did the uh, with your microphone and your new little like USB interface that you got. And you sent it. And it was it was fine. It sounded really great. It was a uh, the Hallelujah song. Yeah, I don't know who sings it either. Oh. Uh, by the way, Britta can actually sing. It sounded really good. Yeah, no, it sounded great. So I chopped it up and uh, just kind of, you know, just played around with it and made a, a minimalist, simple melody and beat and bass line and, and used Britta's chopped up vocal test for kind of a melodic little thing, which is, I I guess what you're going to, you will have heard at the yeah. front of this episode and subsequent and prior episodes too. Yeah, yeah so- you fucking nailed it. I will never forget when they sent me it and I just could not stop smiling. You did such a good job with it, Nick. Thank you. Your song is what got me amped about doing a podcast. So weird, isn't it? Wait, actually, me too. That was like the catalyst for me like, all right, we can fucking do this. <laughs> well, it's it's fortunate, too, to throw something against the wall and the first thing kind of stick. You mentioned in your exploration, and I feel like you explore a lot of things, and you've called yourself a hobbyist and I can I can vouch for that because I'm your wife and I know <laughs> all of your hobbies and all the trinkets and stuff that are Name five in of our my home. trinkets. But how did you become a hobbyist? I think I just have a brain that just doesn't really shut down and so I think I'm constantly looking for sort of like that serotonin or, or that dopamine hit and that translates to me I guess just learning a lot of different things and trying a lot of different things and sometimes it's cheap and sometimes it's it's expensive. <laughs> Can you name a couple of your hobbies? 
Um, you got some buns. For a very, very long time, I played around with like music production and on <laughs> a lot of like parts of that spectrum too, recording pretty much any of it really. But so that's a lot of fun. And that's something I still do, not as frequently as I used to. But for a very long time, I got really into like cinematography and videography. And this was a long, long time ago. And my friends and I were entering like film festivals and we're winning first place in them and stuff. What else do I do? Nick, come on. You built a Ghostbusters proton pack. Well, yeah, but I, mean, I don't really like scratch. broadcast. You know, I don't really like broadcast that to like everybody and their mother. You know what I mean? That's kind of just like a smile. That's, that's my own personal secret Super proton cool. pack. Very cool. Computer stuff. He built the computer. He built a computer. Well, you um, all can do that. And, well, I have no interest in it. That that's what makes it a hobby. Well, I think I, I think people do it just because it's. Yeah, yeah, I do. I, animal husbandry, I guess you could say, is also a, a hobby of mine. <laughs> I've got three cats and a tarantula, and yeah, I like animals. Video I, games, sure. Rock I'm a, climbing. I'm, a, I'm a, a male millennial, so like I think that checks off the box for like plays video games. But yeah, I go through a lot of a, a lot of pastimes and hobbies. I think, and there are some that I hang on to. And probably more than more than that, a lot that sort of just kind of eventually fizzle out and go away. I really like cooking, uh, and I like making ramen. And yeah, I mean, I just I do a lot of stuff. I wear, wear a lot of hats, I guess. Okay, this is a great segue into our next question. We want to give you a chance to plug yourself because, as a good hobbyist, you have quite a few social media hobbies currently happening. So, where can the people find you? What do I do? Um, on the socials? What are you up to there? The latest that I'm doing, and this was just kind of out of boredom, was uh, uh, every Tuesday night at like 5.30 p.m. Central Time, I get on Twitch and I basically go through pictures of ramen on the internet and I rate the pictures from an A to an F, plus or minus. And that's been a lot of fun for me. It's been kind of a cathartic thing for me to look at people's ramen and it's really nice to see awesome looking ramen. And then it's really fun to see really horrible looking ramen and give your candid opinions of it. I do that. And then I usually through the week chop those up and put little bits of it onto TikTok for people to consume piecemeal. So that's kind of my like social media endeavor currently. The channel, I guess, is called Irate Ramen Show, not just Irate Ramen. And it's pretty much spelled how it sounds. But uh, somebody on TikTok already grabbed Irate Ramen and they uploaded two videos to it and then abandoned it. So I'm not technically Irate Ramen uh, on there. I'm Irate Ramen boo. Show. But if you do want to tune into the live stream, um, that's every Tuesday at 5.30 at twitch.tv slash Irate Ramen. Britta's got the next question. More questions. Okay. All right. This is going to be a 180 here. Nick, what do you love about Lizzie? Jeez. This is the question I didn't want. I, I was like, you're gonna put him on the spot. <laughs> I feel like spot. I feel like that would be an, an unfathomably long list. And I think Aww. an easier an easier question would be what don't I love about Lizzie? Oh and so I'm gonna one eighty that right back <laughs> and I'm gonna just go through this very short list of what I don't love about Lizzie. All right, let's hear it. I hope your ego's feeling okay, Lizzie. Yeah, I'm fine. I I told you I'm I'm in a good spot. And it's a pretty short list. She rips her toenails off. I do Ew. tear off my toenails. Well, it's, yeah. she doesn't really rip them off. She kind of molts and they just come off and then like fresh ones grow oh in, God. which is really strange and bizarre. This has been mm, as long as I can remember that, <laughs> that they do this. Okay. Thinking really hard. That might be the only one, honestly. It's, it's the okay. only thing that really bothers me because I don't like the idea of someone ripping their toenails off. 
and the person I married does that. There are other people that do it. I know there has to be other people. Do do your toenails end up in the trash or do they float into the world? They are in the trash. I'm not a garbage person. She's not a cave person. (laughs) They're in the trash, but... All right. You don't have to name everything, but you have to counter that with one thing you love about Lizzie. Uh, One thing I love about Lizzie... Uh, she has these laughing fits, which are really funny, and they get us both like hurting laughing, which is always nice. And a lot of the time that happens like right before bedtime when sometimes you need it the most. <laughs> oh, that's that so is sweet. really sweet, babe. Thanks. What's the next question? <laughs> um, <laughs> really good. The, the next, um, and this is putting your producer hat back on. Mm-hmm. What do you think we should talk about in our next episode? And this is the last question. I think you should take all of the ideas that you had from the prior episode and like cut those on or write them on single lines of notebook paper and then just cut those into strips and put them in a can. You can pick the can. It doesn't matter what kind of can it is. And just blabber on the way that you usually do, which I think (laughs) is a lot of fun and the most organic and natural way to converse. And then if you run out of that or if you run out of steam, then you can just yank one of those things out of the coffee can or whatever can you chose. And uh, that can be how you get into other topics. That's my... Oh, I like that. That's my hot tip. We could put it in a spam can. I think that brings us to the end of our episode. Is there anything else you'd like to bring up, Britta? No, I don't have anything else. We do need to. Producer Nick, got any good tips for... An outro because we never know how to end this thing. Are you asking me for tips? Yeah. Yes. Oh, I don't have any tips. I think you outro it just fine every single time. All right. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.